Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. And we're back. Hi, everyone. This is probably after our event, but of course, we're pre-recording because that's where our life is right now. I don't know what um, month it is. I just don't even understand life. So we're here. The events happened. I'm sure all we of have you a listeners event. help us get here because yeah. through all of your support, we've gotten so many people who want to be in the podcast and so many amazing guests that I'm sure you're thinking you haven't really heard much of just Vicky and I by ourselves. And you may be glad for it because maybe you were <laughs> sick of just us. I don't know. We have so many amazing guests that we've had the last couple of weeks and we'll continue to have because we've been so busy recording because so many amazing guests want to come on the pod. So it's great news for you guys to be able to hear from these amazing It people. helps us become many experts in different things and not maybe experts, but just be able to have a conversation that we may not be able to if we meet someone at a networking event or if we find someone online that we think is interesting. But hoping you guys are finding the guests interesting as much as we do. And today, you'll be hearing from Dr. Daniel Franklin. He has been in the area of just education. He started out in special education and has been in it for like 30 years. He has a master's and obviously a doctorate. Master's, I think, from Harvard and doctorate from UCLA. This guy's like a big deal. Like he himself had learning differences growing up that he kind of goes into. He talks a lot about these language-based learning disabilities and attachment-based teaching and learning how anyone can use these strategies for helping these kiddos from teachers to parents to family members anybody and you know what I love is that he really can demonstrate that success story and like I think any parent that's listening can hear the fact that you know your child can be whoever they want to be they can be themselves and they can really strive for greatness because he's a prime example of a student who struggled and was able to get the right supports and look at him now and i mean he has franklin educational services that he created you know obviously not just based on his own research and background but because he wanted to take this holistic approach, this thorough understanding of the child. So they have, you know, anything from tutoring to educational consulting to support services to if you're in AP classes, if you have behavioral issues. It's very interesting the way that he is able to have a child come in and find a way to help them because so often we you know, have teachers and educators that don't know what to do. And he's just a great resource, even as an educational consultant component that we would love if school districts would hire to learn about education, right? And if you've seen an ongoing theme, you know, there's so much research out there. And Amanda and I want to use this podcast to push out that current research, the neuroplasticity. We're always talking about the brain and like, we just, 
reading, writing, and arithmetic, and we've always done education this way, is like it needs to stop. So we try to bring these educators, these different types of educators, to our program so that it can kind of get your mind thinking and maybe you bring it up at a PTA meeting or at a community advisory Mm -hmm. committee, you know, use it how you will. But hopefully (laughs) you guys enjoy this episode and enjoy. (laughs) Daniel, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be on your show, Amanda and Vicki. My name is Dr. Daniel Franklin. I've been in education for over 30 years. I started my career as a special education classroom, went on to earn my master's degree at the Harvard Graduate School of Education in reading, language, and learning disabilities, and then I earned my PhD at UCLA in education. About 14 years ago, excuse me, about 14 years ago, I opened my practice in West Los Angeles. I now have two locations, one here and one also in Newport Beach. My company is called Franklin Educational Services, and we provide a very broad range of educational services from tutoring, test prep, fully accredited one-on-one schooling, educational consulting, parenting, and a wide range of other support services. Our support ranges from high-achieving students in AP and honor levels classes to students who have learning and behavioral differences. And that's the general scope of me and the work I do. So how did, did you always want to get into education or how did you kind of go down that path? Yes, I have a rather unique story, I think, with, in that I struggled tremendously in the early years of my schooling. I had very significant dyslexia. I didn't develop even rudimentary reading and writing skills until well into fifth and sixth grade. Wow. In fifth and sixth grade, I had an extraordinary teacher, Mrs. Shirley Gott, who was the difference maker. And in life, we occasionally have that magical moment where an extraordinary person enters our lives. And she was the first person to really reach out to me and help me develop confidence in myself and my ability to read and write and learn. She and I went on to be lifelong friends. She only mm-hmm. passed away a few years ago at the age of 98. Wow. So wow. We're always in touch. And it was her. It was Mrs. Shirley Gott who inspired me to learning and love teaching and to want to be a teacher. Well, we always love hearing stories like that because, you know, not only can you relate so much to students that you're helping, but I think for our listeners, not only educators, but parents as well, hearing success stories like yours, it really demonstrates how much potential these students have and that no label or, you know, disability can really stop them from really achieving great things. And I think you're just broad history. I mean, the length of time that you've been in this field and your expertise, I think really demonstrates that, you know, your struggles in school didn't stop you from achieving that. And I think it's really inspiring for even kids out there to see that, you know, you can do it. You can do it. It takes a lot of help and it takes very special people like Mrs. Shirley got. The good news is virtually all parents and teachers and clinicians can be that person. It's about believing that all children learn and all children deserve the opportunity to learn and to live that belief. And those special people are the ones who make the difference. A child, a teen, even a young adult, all on their own, certainly those who struggled in the way I did, aren't going to manage without 
that kind of love and commitment and support that these extraordinary teachers and parents and clinicians and practitioners provide us. So it takes not only a team, it takes a community. And I'm a big believer in doing everything we can to create communities to support everyone, students, parents, teachers, and everybody else trying to help children and teens. And I think what's great is, you know, the perspective of not just helping educators help these kids more, but also helping parents. And so I think that's why, you know, we love your book, the Helping Your Child with Language-Based Learning Disabilities. I think it really demonstrates for parents that there are so many tools out there that can use that they don't have to be professionals, that they really can learn how to better support their kids. Can you talk a little bit about the book? I'm delighted to. This is my new book, Helping Your Child with Language-Based Learning Disabilities. The Joy Santa Ana Winds are doing yeah, a definitely. Good job on me. It came out just about a year ago. It's published by New Harbinger Publications. It's available on Amazon. The book is written for the origins go back to a course I developed about 50 years ago. It's currently a graduate extension course on the principles of one-on-one support for children, teens, and young adults with language-based learning disabilities. Language-based learning disabilities include dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. Dysgraphia is the writing version of dyslexia, and dyscalculia is the math version of dyslexia. Learning, language-based learning disabilities also include ADHD and executive function deficits, and also a wide range of visual and auditory processing capacities. All of these learning and behavioral differences overlap. There's a lot of Mm co-occurrence. So it makes a lot of sense not to get too linear, not to get too reductionistic in terms of how we're going to provide the support these children need because we see a lot of co-occurrence between, say, dyslexia and ADHD. So we want to think about strategies that really address both issues. Major principle of my book is that the human brain is a social organ and it's designed to learn in a social context, especially one-on-one. And no one is more or better equipped to provide one-on-one support than parents. Mm -hmm. When I say that, people say, ooh, well, what about the helicopter parent? Well, if I say this, there are two types of parents, helicopter parents and helpful parents. And here's the difference. A helicopter parent provides help that is needed. A helpful parent provides help that is needed. And children, teens, and young adults with language-based learning disabilities need a lot of help. Let's not pathologize the need for providing help to these students. And the main thrust of my book is, well, how do you now do that? And I, each chapter addresses a different area, reading, writing, math, study skills, ADHD, auditory and visual processing, advocacy, and a number of other areas. There's 13 chapters altogether. So my book is rather expansive in that regard. What we like about it is twofold, right? It's explaining what those language-based learning disabilities are to a certain extent, right? Helping the parents identify what that is. And just like that example that you'd given us, you know, oh, dysgraphia is the written kind of dyslexia, but it also kind of is those strategies. That's the main crux of the book where I think oftentimes parents just don't understand, especially with like executive functioning disorders, it's like he just can't get his homework together. He can't turn in and it's like, Amanda was at an IEP meeting that she was talking about, and it's like the IEP meetings that we always go to where they just label the child as lazy or he's just like a non-starter. And it's like, 
he has a disability. <laughs> like, right. it's literally like, you know, you couldn't say to a blind child, like, well, can't you see what I'm writing on the board? It's like, no. And like, I think that's what we try to do with this podcast is that awareness component and that understanding concept. Because no, you wouldn't say that to a child that is blind. So you shouldn't be speaking to a child with executive functioning issues in that way, where it's like, well, if you just pay attention, you know, the yeah. ADHD kid, if you just pay attention, then you would know what we're talking about. I have ADHD. What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Well, I think often we find, and we say this a lot, is that, you know, we find a lot of these strategies that help with our children with language-based learning disabilities that the strategies that you use for them really works for almost all kids because it's really True. about that multisensory and about breaking it down. And I think you kind of bring up this other side to it of that social component of learning. I think that really brings it into perspective that, you know, we always say like with hands-on learning, like most people learn better that way when you're doing it. You know, I think that's a great way to kind of look at the world. So I love that you kind of put this in a book. And I think the more that we can spread this information around, the more that everyone, because like Vicki said, I mean, I was in an IP yesterday where, you know, one of the things that the teacher was saying was going on with this kid, I said, well, if you just approached your, not to tell teachers how to do it, but like if you approached it in a different way, what that kid's doing, his fidgeting, wouldn't be a problem if you allowed the kids to move around. Like the concept of saying we can have more flexibility, it seems small. It's small, but it's critically important. And you've raised so many points about from high levels of proactive support, not only from the standpoint of the teachers, but parents too. Unfortunately, we have pathologized the need for help and we have pathologized offering help. And it's a really wrong direction for us to be going. Really what we want to do is empower parents, all parents, at high levels of proactive organizational support, support with study skills, and very critically, provide bypass strategies when a child has slowly emerging skills. While a child is learning to read, they cannot use reading to learn. Mm -hmm. That means a parent must get involved in terms of figuring out what it is their child needs to learn from reading and come up with strategies whereby their child can acquire an understanding of that material, that content, and learn. And we call these bypass strategies because we are going to bypass a slowly emerging skill like reading. How will we do that? We'll do it by reading the material aloud and explaining what we're reading, or sometimes simply read it to ourselves as a parent and explain what it says. The key point is to get the information into the child's head. But if a child is learning to read, they can't go from print to knowledge unless there's a lot of scaffolding support. Right. And writing, too, requires a lot of proactive support in terms of developing ideas, organizing ideas, and expressing ideas. And there's always the time management aspect of writing, whereby we want to come up with some timelines in which we're going to accomplish certain parts of the writing assignment. So these are all critical ways parents and teachers, too, mm -hmm. can offer high levels of organized, proactive support in all areas of learning. I'm going to start using that bypass language because I can't tell you how many times I'm talking about a kid who has deficits in reading and vocabulary, and I hear all the time, well, we need to build up their vocabulary so that they can be a better reader, and the solution is for them to read more. But they can't learn the vocabulary through reading if they can't read. <laughs> That's exactly right. And an important thing for all us educators to keep in mind that in order to learn, we have to have a broad base of general information. 
And if we limit access to information by a slowly emerging skill like reading, we're really hindering the capacity for that child to develop reading comprehension skills. Much of what we do as skilled readers is compare what we already know to what it is we're reading on the page. But if we, if we focus simply on just remedial reading and we don't really focus on the much more important objective of helping kids acquire content, acquire knowledge, develop problem solving skills, and boosting their powers of creativity and ultimately their motivation to wanna learn and to think of themselves as capable learners. Unfortunately, many children, teens, and young adults with language-based learning disabilities have an internal script that says, oh, not a good learner. And unfortunately, many of them give up. And that's something we can put a stop to by making sure these young students get the help, the right kind of help that they need to turn this around. And so if a student comes to your agency, I know that you had said that there are supported services and you kind of listed out what those are. Where do you start? Do you kind of start with the general intake with the parents? Hey, what's going on? You know, if a parent says, I just need homework help, do you guys kind of delve in deeper to try to identify those needs? I'm sure oftentimes you might just see the kid that is just behind and you're just going to help them catch up. But I, And then you had said you see kiddos with behavioral issues and that's what's impeding them. How do you make those determinations? Well, just as you stated a moment ago, it's about getting information. And it's not about getting information. It's really about starting a conversation with a concerned parent who calls me. I do virtually all of the initial phone calls with parents because I want to have a really good understanding of what's going on. And it's a conversation. It's about learning about the parent and their child and understanding what their journey has been and what the challenges have been, but also what the successes have been and where optimism lies and where the goals exist. And in the course of that conversation, the parent and I begin to develop a mutual understanding about how it is we might want to proceed. Many students have already had different types of educational testing or neuropsychological evaluations. This too provides me with extremely good information. And I always contact the individuals who've conducted these evaluations after reading their reports and get additional information and texture. The third level is actually meeting the student here at my office. spending an hour with the student and learning about them and their hopes and goals and things that they want to do and begin to hatch a plan about how we're going to achieve those objectives. So there's a real process, but primarily it's about building positive, healthy relationships, initially with the parent and then the parent and his or her child, and then identifying a team member who is the right match in order to provide that type of specialized support, whether it's our specialized tutoring, which we call academic management, which combines the principles of ed therapy with traditional tutoring, or whether it's providing our fully accredited one-on-one homeschooling services or providing any one of the other services we provide, school shadows, which we actually call school coaches, or is it just parent coaching that I'm gonna do and help the parent develop a set of strategies that will allow them to manage some of the demands of school that are overwhelming. 
So, so a completely just- holistic approach then and not just singular. You know, there's a lot of agencies that we come across and just a lot of different that I'm sure that parents come across where they're just tutoring or they're just, but you seem to take a really, I mean, obviously because of your background, a really holistic approach. Like you're not just helping the child, you're helping maybe the school understand, you're helping the parent understand and giving them the tools and strategies so that we don't have these stressed out, anxious kiddos because mm-hmm. That's what we see. Parents get angry to the point that they just offhand Google attorney, you know, education and they see us. But it sounds like you offer a great resource to many of the families that just don't know what to do otherwise. It's about developing a thorough understanding of the parent, their child, the environment the child is in, and other partners, clinicians and therapists and other individuals who are helping support that child and developing a team, a community, so that we can affect, address the social, emotional, and learning needs of every child, teen, and young adult with whom I work. So I know in your book you talk a lot about the attachment-based teaching. Can you talk a little bit about that methodology and what that means for our listeners? Sure. The human brain is a social organ. It only develops well in the context of healthy relationships. The single most important thing we can do for any child, teen, or young adult is provide them with close, healthy relationships with adults. And it is in the context of healthy relationships that a brain is in a state for learning. I always say this, learning is easy. Being in a state to learn is hard. And the way we help children, teens, and young adults be in a state to learn is make sure they have a positive, healthy connection to the adults in their lives. And there are many things we can do to enhance the quality of these relationships. Being attuned to a child, being empathic, being concerned, being interested, and most of all, being curious. These are the ways we can share, we can communicate to a child that they are important and they are meaningful to us and that we're going to work together as a team to manage all the demands of life not just learning and not just managing assignments, but managing school and managing social dynamics and managing personal issues that come up too. And so we really want to think about the quality of relationships. And this is the principle of attachment and attachment-based teaching. It prioritizes the quality of the relationship above other considerations. And there's solid neuroscience evidence that demonstrates in the context of a healthy relationship, brains develop the best, healthy relationships promote the type of neuroplasticities that is required for skill development, learning, self-confidence, and self-efficacy. That's awesome. It sounds like, you know, I really hope a lot of people check out this book because I think that's key to everything and that's something that anybody can do. Anybody can develop. I think a lot of times we talk about that, you know, kids oftentimes they'll have a teacher or someone's working with them that, you know, parents say, oh, they just don't have good rapport with them. And it's like, well, why? Why is that not possible with everyone? And it's not necessarily about the personality of the person that's working with the child. It's about this, not having this attachment. So I think that's important for anyone working with kids to kind of develop those strategies. A genuine concern for a child, a teen, a young adult, or anyone signals the one thing all human beings need, which is a sense of connection and attachment. And This is why in all of our interactions with students, 
if we focus on the quality of the connection and the quality of the interaction, this it will greatly enhance the child's opportunity to grow, develop, learn, and thrive. It's incredible work. I feel like you have been in this your entire life, obviously your master's, getting your doctorate, but being able to explain it in a way that I don't have any of that in my background, like I was a poli-sci major, like is just, it's refreshing. And I really appreciate you being on our podcast because I know for a lot of parents, it's overwhelming, especially if they have a new diagnosis. And, you know, Amanda and I through experience can explain certain things, but you know, we're experts in the law and being able to speak with individuals like yourself who have made this their life's work and know it inside and out because they are living it is fascinating to us. So thank you so much for sharing and how can people reach you? We always like to put that out there and then we can put it in the show notes as well. I'm really easy to reach. If you go to danielfranklinphd.com, that's one of my two main websites and probably the easiest one to remember um, <laughs> as my camera wiggles around here. So Daniel Franklin PhD, it's all one, danielfranklinphd.com. And I'm super easy to reach. If you Google Daniel Franklin PhD, I come up typically in a Google search. And certainly my company, Franklin Educational Services, will also come up. I welcome hearing from your listeners anytime. Part of the joy and pleasure of my work is meeting parents, teachers, clinicians, other educators. So I really do encourage your listeners to reach out to me and to connect with me so that we can keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Well, we so appreciate you being here and, you know, we'll get all that information to our listeners and we'll have to have you back soon to dive a little bit deeper next time. Well, it'd be a pleasure to come back. It's been a joy speaking with both of you. I'm so grateful to you for what you're doing to serve the interests of all students and representing them. It's so critical what you do to protect their right and privilege to be students and to support equity and education in all areas of life. Well, we get to do it because of people like you and your research and what you share and the services that you provide. Because although we can say, hey, district, you were wrong to do A, B, and C, we turn it over to people like yourself that are able to try to make that child whole again. So mutual thanks (laughs) on our behalf to you. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed and check out Daniel Franklin. He said to reach out to him, so do it. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.